Before the rings of power, there were the Silmarils. Before Sauron, there was his master, Morgoth. Before Aragorn and Arwen, there was Beren and Luthien. Welcome to Window on the West, where we explore all the ages of Tolkien's Middle-earth. With your hosts, Jonathan Watson, Michael Grumbine, and Dan Coates. Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 26 of Window on the West. Hey. Guys, we're, we're, we're more than a quarter of the way to a century. A hundred. That's right. 20, 26? Pretty crazy. 26. We had a couple hmm. little extras in there, which I don't really count as episodes. But in this quarter of the way to... Uh, to to a, the century mark of episodes, we are uh, moving into a Baron and Luthien. Actually, last last week's episode number twenty five was the first one where we had a little intro where we learned a couple new things. At least I did. Of that, a hemlock grove does not mean large trees. It actually means that small. I believe what did they call it? Like cow spray, or something like that. I don't remember. Frothy white ground is, I think, what the way the white froth of the ground is something Tolkien said. Anyway, hmm. so is a is, is a white covering over the ground of, of small plants. So that was the hemlock they talked about. In any case, we are we are moving forward into the actual story of Baron and Luthien. I think, as you said, Michael, it's kind of like the the central story to the Silmarillion, the central story to all of Tolkien's writings. He wrote it. I think he first started writing in 1915. I want to say maybe 16. I think it was 15 when the first. Yeah, since I've been reading this recently, I've been contemplating what it would be like for someone who loves Tolkien to make the story of Baron and Luthien and, you know, as a movie um, or TV series. And it would be pretty epic, actually. And what's fascinating to me is I was realizing this is the pivot point of his entire mythology, according to him as well. And and yet mm -hmm. he doesn't have it in Lord of the Rings, except in a few um, songs referenced. Mm -hmm. So. It's interesting. It's it's one of those. I think I think it's one of those richnesses of Tolkien that makes his work so so um, attractive, though we know not why. Perhaps when we first read it, or first time or two. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. I think you get. I I, I certainly get more out of it every single time I read it. Um, I, I mean that goes for all of it, but particularly this story. Even though I would say it's not my favorite story in the Silmarillion. Uh, I agree. It isn't my favorite either, but it is Tolkien's centerpiece. It is. To, it is the pivot point. All right. So before before we do that, though, I have a special a special version today of all that is gold does not glitter. And um, this this is for just you you and you and you two guys today. Um, we are going to try to identify which text is fan fiction and which text is generated by AI. <laughs> so oh, there no. is no Tolkien. There is so, no Tolkien. We just have to oh, figure no. out which so, one's worse or which one's better. And I will tell you which one, and I'll tell you the prompt that I use with uh, it is with the Chat GPT all the rage these days. But I thought mm -hmm. this would be a fun version of all that is gold does not glitter. So we've got two. There are only two. It's it's a fifty fifty shot. You've got twice. So we have four different okay. quotes. One. I like I like anyway. those odds. All right. So here we go. We'll do the first one. So this is really all that is dross does not glitter because none of this is Tolkien. <laughs> none of this is Tolkien. Here we go. I'll read this. I'll read this uh, for our listeners. If you're, you can, you can read it on YouTube if you're there, or Rumble. The high elves of Lothlorien, like proud warriors who had seen too many battles, looked upon their home with heavy hearts. They remembered the days when the Malorn leaves would shimmer like gold in the sun, and the rivers would sparkle like diamonds. But now the once verdant forest was like a painting left out in the rain; its colors fading and blending together until it was nothing more than a pale shadow of its former self. All right, here's the next one. Wait, oh, okay, it's one, one of these is AI and one, one of these of is One of these is AI and one of these is fan fiction. 
Galadriel now held the last light that would ever cross the land, for now she knew the time had come for the dominion of men. Years gave away no mention of lo or loss of her beauty, for Galadriel's hair was yellow like a winding river of pale gold, and like her white gown, her heart was as pure as crystal. All right, uh, so I'm going to do it this time. Michael, you have to guess this one first, and Dan, you'll do the next one first. So, All so right. that we don't have to. Okay. So, if you so have to guess, here's Michael. two thoughts. Um, the first one is um, by the book wrote uh, usage of simile and metaphor. It just, it's, it's like a, it reminds me of an algorithm. So that helps um, me say that this is AI. But the problem is the second one, years gave way gave away no mention or loss of her beauty for Gladys hair was yellow like a winding river of pale gold and, and like her white gown her heart was as pure as crystal uh, purity of crystal a uh, heart pure as crystal doesn't first of all they sound like maybe if this is fanfic it's like eighth grade fanfic because uh, heart being pure as crystal has no nothing to do with loss of beauty it's in, in the sense that it's use, it's describing in the first part of it so it just it's illogical so um, I'm going to, but I, since I have to say, no, uh, yeah, I'm going to say first is AI, second is fanfic. All right. Dan, what's your call? I think I was going to say the same thing because the, that, that phrase, like a painting left out in the rain, it just seems so. It sounds like Blade Runner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does, but it's it, yeah. in the rain. Yeah. So yeah, yeah okay. I, I I would I would pick the same ones. I, I hope it's not your fanfic, Jonathan, because it's, <laughs> uh, Michael said it's like an eighth grader wrote it. No, 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 no. <laughs> All my fanfic is locked away, and I've never written fanfic. I, I would not bow before that kind of a weird idol. Of and this is why I'm your like friend. Tolkien. I can right, only be so friends with answer, people that don't write Tolkien fanfic. The answer, guys, believe it or not. Is number one. You were right. Yeah, all right. So it is yeah, the high mechanic, of Too mechanically correct. Like proud warriors who had seen too many battles, looked upon their home with heavy hearts. And the best line, of course, is, but now the once verdant forest was like a painting left out in the rain, its colors fading and blending together until it was. And so I'll, I'll give you, the, I'll give you the, the, the prompt that I used that generated this here. And so I had to generate a few paragraphs, and this was one of them that essentially it came out with, and so otherwise. And I tried to, anyway. I tried to, to make it. I could probably spend more time and, and make it even like more realistic sounding, but it, it was taking too long. So this is the, this is the quote, or the, the prompt that I used. In the style of J.R.R. Tolkien's writing, write a few paragraphs about how Lothlorien was fading from its former glory that the high elves and Galadriel knew in younger days before the dominion of men. Use just a couple similes and metaphors too, <laughs> because otherwise I tried it without doing that and it, would, it, would, it sounded like some sort of history book. Uh, and then when I had said use similes and metaphors, everything was like a, like a, like a, yeah. like every sentence ended with like, like tears in the rain, like a <laughs> pedal on the wind, right? Everything was a, another like a, so I, I decided against it. All right. So you guys got it. All right. Good job. All right. This one, Dan, you have to guess first. So I'll go ahead All right. and read the first one. She loved the rocky foothills of the Northern part of the Westlands, which everyone knew had the sweetness, sweetest air in all of Numenor. There the meadows, filled with wild flowers, ran up to the edges of virgin pine forests and newborn lambs gambled in the springtime, all before a backdrop of mountain peaks against a brilliant blue sky. Okay. That's number one. All right, number two. As Erendis sat in her chambers, she could hear the sound of the waves crashing against the shore and reminded her of the sea, the sea that had taken her husband from her. She knew that Aldarion loved the sea, that it was in his blood, but she couldn't help but resent it for taking him away from her. She longed for the day when he would return when she could hold him in her arms and never let him go. 
Well, the C is always right, so. Uh, <laughs> For Aldarian, it certainly was. I, I, I have a feeling that the, the more emotional appeal is probably the fanfic. So I, I have a feeling that the, the first one is AI, and the second one is fanfic. Okay. Michael? That's my reasoning. I have exactly the same sense. Um, it will be interesting if it turns the sec out, the second is AI, because it means the AI can capture trite emotional passages um, pretty well. Um, so so I'm, I'm suspicious. But I, I do too. think that the, that the first one is fanfic and the second one. Uh, sorry, the first one is AI, rather, just like Jonathan, like uh, Dan said. And the second one is fanfic. All right. So the answer here is the second one is AI. You guys got it wrong this time. Which is, as Aaron just sat in her chamber, she could hear the sound of the waves and blah, 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 when she could hold him in her arms and never let him go. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so here's it does the say, it does It does have that ring of, of the top 40 song it's like, somewhere. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. And so here was the prompt that, uh, that I used in order to generate this. In the style of overly expository <laughs> and descriptive fan fiction, write a few paragraphs of how Aaron Dis of Numenor longed for her husband, Aldarian, who has been at sea for more than a year. So... Wow. Uh, adding the overly expository and descriptive fan fiction, it, it kind of made it worse. It made it very, very sappy, goopy, gross, boring. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But, uh, it, you know, I mean, hey. It shouldn't so wait, go back to the first one. So someone actually wrote that? Yeah, Holy I looked mackerel. it up. I could find the link. I don't have it right here. Oh. But yes, yes. She loved the Rocky Hill in order for the, which everyone knew had the sweetest right, I'll, I'll read. I'll read it again for everybody. What? So here, here's what it was that Michael and Dan thought was generated by tears. AI. She loved the rocky foothills of the northern part of the Westlands, which everyone knew had the sweetest air in all of Numenor. There the meadows, filled with wildflowers, ran up to the edges of virgin pine forests and newborn lambs gambled in the springtime, all before a backdrop of mountain peaks against a brilliant blue sky. Reading it now, you kind of think like, oh, there's a little too much like gambled, like words that an AI would be like, eh, I don't think I'll use that one. That one it's too precise of a word to throw into an AI. See, not having too much experience with AI, I didn't know whether it would yeah. do that or, or just like choose That's random true. synonyms. Yeah. And so, but this whole, it just looks, I mean, this really does look, this is middle school fan fiction. I mean, it it's, is, it, I, I, I don't know where you, I don't know where you got this stuff school. from, but, but the, yeah. Yeah, you oh. can just search it, search online. Yeah, and, and this is about Arendis as well. So I looked up Arendis Aldarian fan fiction and that's how I got to this one here. And the all right, so, Dan, we're one in so, one. So, one on one. So, all right, guys, you're 50% AI. The AI is tricking you 50% of the way there. But it's not tricking us versus Tolkien. It's tricking us versus this is bad fan fiction. Bad fan fiction, which, which what it means really in the end is that the AI can write good, good, bad fan fiction. True, true. So there you have it. So all that is gold in this situation never, ever, ever glitters because there's no gold here at all. It mm. is simply AI. All right, so we are going to move into actually the story now of Baron and Luthien. And we're going to start with, as Thank usual, goodness. yes, yes, a real well-told story, not <laughs> lambs gambling up a hillside near virgin forests of something something. All right, we're going to start with... Dan's Big Thought. Thanks for that introduction, Jonathan. Um, so we're finally at the chapter of Baron and Luthien. And I really liked your guys' introductory uh, podcast last week. Um, so reading this for the first time, uh, this is probably the worst 
meet the parents situation of all time. <laughs> so I'm kind of I'm kind of jumping ahead just slightly in the story because there's a little bit of backstory of Baron, but King Thingol when he meets Baron finally, he seems like a dad who's about to start breaking down and cleaning all of his shotguns while he's talking to Baron. <laughs> And he's like, well, what are your intentions with my daughter? Like, he's like cleaning a 12 gauge or something. Um, so it's very, that, that's, that part's very interesting to me. Uh, it, but you also just have like the basic beautiful moment of Baron finally meeting Luthien, falling in love. Uh, they meet in the, they meet in the, the woodland glade. And uh, I think you mentioned in the podcast last week that that's kind of like a, a tale that is central to Tolkien that's at, at the core of kind of like his, his whole legendarium. Um, it, it's like one of the oldest things that he wrote and it's kind of inspired by him meeting his wife. And uh, I thought that that was so beautiful and it, 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 you could definitely see how that's definitely the centerpiece for Tolkien. Like this is probably like one of his most important stories for him. Um, and you, it, it also reminds me of everything else I love about Tolkien and, and Middle Earth, because it, the, the backdrop of this love story is just the absolute doom and gloom of, of insurmountable evil that has just conquered the whole world and everything is just black and there's no hope. But still, even in the backdrop of all of that, you still have this love story. So I, re I really like that. Yeah, it, it, it's how he lays it out, too, with, um, you know, among, uh, let me get that, that line right. Amid weeping, there is joy in the shadow of death, light that endures. Um, <clears throat> and, I mean, it is the story he wrote first. In a way, I, this or Gondolin might have been the story. I'm not sure the fall of Gondolin might be the first one. I'd have to check since I don't have everything memorized. But uh, it was certainly one of the first, and it was the one that probably stuck with him the most because it was him and Edith that would walk in these hemlock glades and that is how he thought of baron and luthien and she had gray eyes and edith had gray eyes and so so it was a and dark hair <clears throat> and dark hair hmm. right right but but uh despite them doing that uh tolkien as baron certainly uh did not uh slay a bunch of orcs and um you know sneak up on them in, in, in a hemlock grove in europe somewhere hmm. i guess it was Rus in britain um, but maybe let's start then at the beginning then, and we can talk about even that part. Cause I love that, that part where you think that you bring up the, uh, the worst possible meet the parents moment and where Baron, <laughs> Baron laughs at Thingol and you're like, Oh, he laughed. Was that a real laugh? Or was that just a, like a nervous laugh? He's like, for little cost, do they sell their daughters? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but let's start at the beginning. Let's start with Bera here, right? Because, um, they are in Dorthonian. I guess I should probably bring up. Uh, the picture, the lands of Middle Earth again, so that we and while while you're doing that, I'll just say that this that what we're going to cover tonight, I think, is going to be in three parts. It, there's three stages of the story. The first is the death of Bera here and Baron's time in Dorthonian, and then the second is his fleeing from Dorthonian and um, meeting Luthien for the first time in their time together, and then the third is the uh, <clears throat> the facing off of Thingol. And Baron, and then the the follow up with Finrod Feligunt. Yeah. yeah, and then we're going to stop there. Yeah. So we start with um, with uh, Bear here and his companions. Ten companions, or was it twelve? Twelve. Twelve companions, Inclu and including Gorlim the unhappy. The Gorlim the unhappy, <laughs> and we learn right away why he is unhappy. They are here over by the waters of Tarn Eluin, um, which is a, a, a 
uh, a lake that they say even might have been hallowed or blessed, I believe, wasn't it, by, uh, by Melian, if I'm not mistaken, or am I remembering? Yes, by, and it was said that Melian herself yep. had hallowed the water in days of old, and that's where they camped out. Um, Which is interesting because of the connection between Melian and Baron. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, but even there, there was a slight, slight connection there. And there's this beautiful Ted Naismith picture of it, of the them in the version I have. So I'll just here. I can here. Hold on a sec. I will. Uh... No. There you go, like that. Yeah. Ooh, that's nice. I've never seen that. That's supposed to be Tarnelowin. Yes, oh, I believe so. Sweet. I'd never seen that before. I know. I hadn't either. That's pretty cool. Hmm. And that's in uh, which copy of the Silmarillion? Let's hold that up. That's in the most recent one, or not the most recent one anymore, probably, because they release one every year because they can make more money doing it. Right. <laughs> this is the... Oh, the one, the... Uh, the, the uh, Ted Naismith. Nice. Okay. Hmm. I'll try to remember to put a link below. If I don't... He does the best. Down. He does the best um, landscapes of any of the, in my opinion, of Agreed. any of the... Agreed. So, <laughs> so what happens here, without getting into the whole plot necessarily, what happens here is uh, Gorlim... Uh, his wife has been taken captive by orcs and he returns back to his house and sees her in, in the cabin, essentially or in the, in the house. And it's, she's not really there and he's taken captive by Sauron. Right. And he breaks under interrogation because he thinks that he'll be able to get that his wife is still alive, even though she's not. And he reveals the location of uh, Barahir and the rest of his companions. So this is why he's the unhappy, because not only has he lost his wife, he also gave up his, uh, he gave up uh, the location of his, um, of his comrades. Uh, and then he too was slain, right? And slain as uh, after that, right? Poor guy. Cruelly. Cruelly. Then he put him cruelly to death, is what it says Sauron does to mm-hmm. Gorlim the unhappy. He's unhappy in many, many ways, it turns out. He's unhappy because he's a traitor. He's unhappy because he's tortured physically, and he's unhappy because he loses his wife. It is remarkable that there's this holdout of these 12 warriors, and uh, the only way that the forces of evil can finally overcome them is through this kind of uh, betrayal. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they're able to hold out and just keep fighting like this guerrilla warfare. Yeah. Very interesting. I agree. Yep, And it is also interesting. Uh, a theme has begun here of the use of magic in this tale of Baron and Luthien, illusion and fi- or quote unquote phantoms, as it says that Sauron used, are are an enduring theme of magic in this in this particular story. It's interesting. Yeah, or as Gandalf would say, what what you would call magic, Frodo. Annoying. Well, I mean, if he's if he's creating phantoms devised by wizardry, and that's a direct quote. Yeah, that that is magic. Even by Gandalf standards, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think, I bet, I would bet, okay, I'm going to do one little thing because I always feel like uh, Tolkien has a, a big hesitance of using the word magic. Um, he uses the word wizardry. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that they're that different, but maybe you can tell me otherwise. Yeah, yeah. He writes, I have not used magic consistently. Indeed, the elven queen Galadriel is obliged to remonstrate with the hobbits on the confused use of the word, both for the devices and operations of the enemy and those of the elves. Uh, The magic is art delivered from many of its human limitations, more effortless, more quick, more complete product and vision in unflawed correspondence. Uh, 
Huh. And its object of magic is art, not power, subcreation, not domination, and tyrannous reforming of creation. So anyway, uh, yeah, yeah. They, Although yeah. I would, I would argue that might be the elven magic that he switched to describing, because yeah. domination is definitely the 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 goal of the magic of the enemy. True, and and even here in uh, in the Lay of Lathian in in uh, of Baron and Luthien, the words magic is used later in the story as yeah. well. So, yeah, yeah. I think he refined his his sentiment his sentiment with regard to it, especially in his treatment of it in Lord of the Rings. But back in the in the Silmarillion, we have a plenty of uses of magic, and it it makes it explicit too. But what it means by that is like a power that comes from an art, which is a power that comes from within the being. It's not like an appeal to some esoteric forces outside. It's it's from them. So it's from Sauron that, that he manifests the power to create the phantoms of, right. by wizardry, it says. It's not a staff. It's not a crystal. It's not a wand. It's not a hat. Mm. It's it's just like the, the elves are deathless. It's not Valinor that gives them deathlessness. It's right. the, the state of their being. Right. So the state so of being of men is uh is non-magical <laughs> and elves is different especially the old elves the elves that were there in the beginning all right so um bear here was revealed the orcs came and they slew them all except for one because baron the hero of our story he is gone he was on a mission son uh, of bear here by the way son of bear here right his father um and he was away uh, and comes back and sees them all dead and just for a review, Barahir, he is the one that um, rescued Finrod, right? And yes. So he has the ring of, of Felagund. Yes. Yes, which is later going to become call, going to be called the ring of Barahir. Yes. And and I love that. That's one of my more favorite parts here. It's, it's sort of done. Uh, it's cinematic, almost like you can read this. I, I feel like reading this, and I went through it a few times before uh, this podcast here, and I feel like part of it is very. Um, it's like a, a treatment for a screenplay almost mm -hmm. because uh, the, the part at which uh, Baron slays the orc that is holding up bear here's hand, bear, his father, bear here's hand. He, uh, he writes, um, then Baron buried his father's bones and raised a cairn of boulders above him and swore upon it an oath of vengeance. First, therefore, he pursued the orcs that had slain his father and his kinsmen and he found their camp by night at Rivel's Well above the Fenisaric. And because of his woodcraft, he came near to the fire and seen like a screenplay, you know, uh, he was, he was a good tracker. So, um, he did tracky stuff, but he came there unseen, uh, their, their, their captain made boast of his deeds, the orc captain, and he held up the hand of bear here that he had cut off as a token for Sauron, that their mission was fulfilled. And the ring of Felgun was on that hand. Then Baron sprang behind from behind a rock, slew the captain. Yeah. And taking the hand and the ring, he escaped being defended by fate because fate, uh, for the orcs were dismayed and their arrows were wild. Uh, would be, you could make a whole, I don't know, every time I, I read through this here, I think about what we were given and what we could have gotten. Um, exactly. And that, that was why I, I said at the beginning that I think that the, there, this deserves a cinematic treatment. I know that this wasn't part of the rights of that were, that were sold to Amazon, so they couldn't do it. Um, but if those rights are ever sold, which I have no faith that they will be sold to anyone that can do them justice, but it is possible for the, the for it to be done, justice to be done here. Um, and it, interestingly, we know, we're now introduced. I don't know if we're introduced, but I think you might have mentioned it before. But in, he did indeed mention it as Sauron as Lord of Werewolves. 
but in, we're now Tolkien now explains what werewolves are. So, so uh, for the legendarium, therefore, an army was sent against him. That's him being Baron, under the command of Sauron, and Sauron brought werewolves, fell beasts inhabited by dreadful spirits that he had imprisoned in their bodies. So these are not men that turn into half wolf, half men in the light of a moon. These are fell wolves, basically these giant probably giant, um, terrible wolves that have are inhabited by dreadful spirits. Different from the monsters that existed beforehand. You know, there, we know that there were monsters before the coming, coming of the Valar and the, the leading away of the elves to, to Valinor. Um, mm-hmm. And so, hmm. so these are different because Sauron has created them or in po- he has melded them by forcing dreadful spirits into the bodies of fell beasts so that's interesting yeah i like that it, it it makes me think a little bit about like what we talked about a while back when we talked about um Karadras and how that is sort of a fell spirit that has been embodied into the mountain right um and it is not as some as i think i think it was dan who said it but uh it's not saruman's voice on Karadras making the right past <laughs> difficult it's actually the mountain itself and here it's actually the beasts themselves and and like ents or like eagles that were, you know, other spirits sort of came into them as, um, not, uh, yeah, Ents in particular, where they were imbued into them, like they were spirits that would come down. In the same way, these are kind of like the, I don't know, the, the bad version of that. In any case. Um, Speaking of evil mountains, how about that? Ah, there you go. Segway. Yeah. So, 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 the, so Baron has to flee. He has to flee through the through Arid Gorgroth, where Ungoliant abode for a time, and spiders currently still reside there they were spinning their unseen webs in which all living things were snared and monsters wandered there that were born in the long dark before the sun hunting silently with many eyes uh and nobody knows how baron got through that which i think was interesting it's it kind of like yeah he, he's awesome he made it through guys like mm-hmm. we don't even have to talk about how he did it or what he did it. no one's ever going to say because he won't tell anybody um because no man or elf else ever dared to tread the borders of doriath so <laughs> like he came through it and like he's not going to say anything to anybody about it because oh here, here's the quote i meant to say that journey yep. is not accounted least among the great deeds of baron but he spoke of it to no one after lest the horror return into his mind hmm. um yeah well, well you know we know how how uh sauron was afraid of ungoliant so just her offspring what i'm sure uh caused great fear to baron as well that's, so it's uh, a, that's kind of lovecraftian hmm. just the the horror the terror the yeah 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 and it's, yeah, it reminds it reminds me of Tolkien. i mean we would we would say this on the podcast at the babylon b but you know his he's so good at at doing horror when he puts his mind to it mm-hmm. the sheila Bazlair chapter uh, was particularly barrow impressive. downs too barrow downs as well yeah 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 yeah, so it's from that horror that he he comes into, I guess, you know, it's the joy, the eucatastrophe of seeing Luthien in this uh, in the woods of Neldrith, um, dancing upon the unfading grass in the glades besides Isgalduin. And let me say, this what what reminded me the most this time, and it, it struck me in the past too, but um, in the same way how Thingol was captured by Melian, and he was in a stupor, same thing happens to Beren uh, as he uh, sees uh luthien right he um he became dumb as one that is bound under a spell and he strayed long in the woods wild and wary as a beast seeking for her now it wasn't for perhaps decades hundreds of years that thingle was standing there yeah yeah but uh since since but since luthien is millions offspring she's you know 
half mile. Well, here's what's really interesting, and I've thought since maybe third or fourth reading of the Silmarillion, in the speech we're about to get from Thingol, where he rips into Baron and and um, be, gets answered by by this upstart man as well. It had a it has a little bit to me of knowing the story because he knows the story of how um, how Baron fell in love with his daughter. It has a, a a bit to me of the hitting too close to home. Like he may even some of his some of his irritation maybe because he almost feels the full the pull of fate um, in in this the way that his this this man has fallen in love with this daughter. And let's remind ourselves. Melian is a full Maiar, and an elf has never married a Maiar with except this one instance. So Thingol fell in love with someone way above his station, and then in an echo down the ages, his daughter, who's half Maiar, half elf, is now a man falls who's in love with her, and she's well above his station. Mm-hmm. And so it's a it's a really close parallel, too obvious, and it's they're both unique instances. And um, so I, I you got to think that Thingol is being rankled by this, and because he doesn't want to give up his daughter to this grubby man, but uh, but you know it seems almost yeah. faded. It's like a yeah an echo of like is that what you said an echo of what Thingol and Melian right went through. I found that uh, Tolkien's description of Baron uh, as he found her again. Um, it, it made me think, like, is this what Tolkien felt a little bit the first time he, he met Edith? Let's remember, like, Edith was three years older than him when he was, like, 16 and she was 19. So that age difference was a little bit more than maybe, you know, we at our age would consider. So he would fall into a swoon under her. But th- this is what he wrote. Then Baron lay upon the ground in a swoon as at one as one slain at once by bliss and grief. And he fell into a sleep as if as it were into an abyss of shadow and waking he was cold as stone his heart barren and forsaken. I'm wondering like the first time he saw Edith was this like it, it like it struck him so hard that when she was gone his heart was barren and forsaken like oh my gosh I need to be near her right that, uh, that's what it felt, felt like because yeah, it, it's a little biblical in the whole, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, oh my gosh, my brain. Rachel, Rachel and, and uh, Leah, is that right? Am I thinking of that right? Right. Yeah, right. Jacob, so, uh, he labors seven years to marry Rachel. And then uh, his his father-in-law, Laban, tricks him and, and marries him off to the younger Leah. sister, right. Leah. Okay. Yeah. That's what, that's what it feels like a little bit is that like, you know, he, he would do anything. To, yeah. to marry her at this point, even if it's seven years or however long it takes, and we find that he does. And I did, I did find it, it very fascinating how Tolkien describes her falling in love with him. See, she is clearly an object deserving of love, right? She's this unbelievably beautiful creature. She's singing, she's dancing, she is this half elf, half Maiar. I mean, who wouldn't fall in love with her, right? But why would she fall in love with a bent, broken, and gray <laughs> Baron? Yeah. This is there, there's nothing there's nothing it seems attractive in that, and the reason Tolkien gives is but as she looked on him, doom fell upon her and she loved him, like that's it. <laughs> you're, you're caught. It's just the doom. Yeah, she and has a sense doom, of fate about it. Yeah, I mean elves are so caught up in fate that it almost it's it's Tolkien appealing to the fact and that she it, is she has this nature, right. and um, she's bound by fate. Um, which which is an, kind of an odd way to fall in love with someone, right? 
I do think it's interesting that in this story, we, we, we've talked about before lots of times how naming things is so important to Tolkien. And in this story, he names her. Uh, mm. Baron, Baron calls her Tenubiel, which signifies Nightingale. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was interesting. Um, the, 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 there's probably some part of Tolkien in that, that he's like, I love you so much, I'm going to give you a name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's what everyone does, right? right? It's the way you show you care, is you give new names. Yes. Yeah. Instead of Honey Bunny, it's Tenubio. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear <laughs> all right so so they are spied on by daron the minstrel yes diron it's just diron i can't win diron diron the minstrel um and betrays them to thingle and so they end up going in front of the king and this is probably the, my favorite part of the lines from this yeah great, great. go ahead dan I was gonna say you probably don't want this made into like a cinematic experience because they're gonna turn this like into like uh, like Sands of the Hourglass. So <laughs> are the days of our lives, and you have like the the scene of like the person spying on the the lovers meeting and yeah, <laughs> and and the mother in law who's okay with the with the with the, with yeah. the kid coming and the father who doesn't want right. It's all it's all right there. Yeah. Um, so uh, so Diron betrays their love to the king. And uh, and then he ends up having a whole conversation with Luthien, like you got to tell me who is this guy, and then she tries to make him promise, well, if I if I bring him to you, you you can't harm him, right? Like you you have to make an oath. That's right. And then when he does come in front of him, what's interesting is Thingol knows full well who he is. Not just that he's the man who fell in love with his daughter, but he knows who he is. He's a figure of some legend, like the elves sing about him. Luthien says so. She spoke and said, He is Baron, son of Barahir, lord of men, mighty foe of Morgoth, the tale of whose deeds is become a song even among the elves. So, in other words, you know who he is, Dad. (laughs) (laughs) People sing about him. He's a hero. So, (laughs) why people sing about him? I I find it interesting that here he said he calls the first thing he calls Baron is unhappy mortal. <laughs> That's good. So yeah. uh, he doesn't say mighty Baron. He doesn't say foe of Morgoth. He says unhappy mortal. He's like bringing him down to the basest part of his existence. Like yeah, you're a mortal who will die. That's what we know. Not basest in the sense of negative basis, but the most basic part of his existence, and doesn't raise him up above that at all. Right, and that's Thingol's entire. Um, mode throughout this this whole conversation is everything he does is to try to basically cut down and destroy Baron. Okay, he is yeah. he's completely venal. He it is interesting because he was we had these great these these words of praise for him among the elves. He's he, in, in the early chapters of the summer we read that he was accounted one of the wisest and fairest of the elves. Middle Earth, and he had this wisdom and clear sight from his marriage to Melian that that was above everyone else. We don't see any of that here. Nothing. He's just completely like Robert De Niro in uh, Meet the Parents. Has got nothing on him. <laughs> <laughs> At least he's not milking anything with little. <laughs> uh, I mean, isn't he? Maybe he is. <laughs> he's 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 pretty pathetic here. I, so, I yeah. he, he does not show well. I do. I do like the exchange where uh, where Baron tells her tells him, you know, like my uh, my fate led me here uh, through perils that even few elves would dare, 
And I didn't seek what I found, but what I found is worth everything. He's basically saying, like, she's, she's worth everything to me. Mm -hmm. yeah. And uh, for your daughter is the fairest of all the children of the world. And then I like how, like, everyone goes quiet. Like, I was like, oh, man, he's going to get killed now. And now <laughs> he's cleaning the shotgun and he loads a shell at this moment. Yeah. Um, yep. It is a beautiful. Is, it is a beautiful line that you read there, though. Yeah, and then and then he start and then uh, Thingol uh, insults him again. He says, "Death, you have earned with these words. Had I not sworn an oath in haste, he calls him baseborn mortal again. again. Mm -hmm. And then he calls him a spy and a thrall. He's like, you're a human. You live out there where Morgoth is, so you're probably you probably serve Morgoth. And so he says, "Death, you can give me earned or unearned, but the names I will not take from you, of baseborn nor spy nor thrall." And by the ring of Felagun that he gave to Barahir, my father, on the battlefield of the north, my house has not earned such names from any elf, be he king or no. And I just love that 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 proud response. He's just like, I'm, I'm not going to take these names from you. I, I, I didn't earn this. <laughs> what I love is this is classic heroic um, dialogue because yeah. he is denying the name calling but he's doing so with courtesy and respect. Mm -hmm. He's doing so vigorously and and basically shooting back um, with hints that that Thingol has no right to call him this. But he does so still with courtesy. And it's it's it's. It, I mean, no person of Gen X, millennial or Gen Z has it in them to say it. I mean, there is. We don't talk like this anymore. We don't speak like this anymore. There's no, it's not even in our literature. Yeah. Yeah. When it is yeah. in our literature or our media, it's mocked. It's a, a, a satire or a parody is made of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And he doesn't retort, right? He's called baseborn. He's called unhappy. He's called a spy. And he doesn't, he doesn't say, why have you been hiding behind your walls and behind a girdle for years? Right? He doesn't. He doesn't come back at him. He and, doesn't call him a coward. Yeah, he doesn't do anything like that. He simply says, "I have not earned this from any elf, be he king or no." So it, he's like, "It doesn't matter whether you're the king, or whether you're, you know, the the son of uh, the uh, the fisherman near Kierden's servant's house." Right? It's it's like anybody, anybody at all. Uh, I like the, you know, the so they go on and they talk a little bit about uh, the ring, what it looks like. Um, but then again, he calls him he, uh, the, this one line. I think is my favorite line in the whole chapter, where Thingol looked on in silence upon Luthium, and he thought in his he thought in his heart. He didn't say this, but he thought in his heart. Unhappy men, children of little lords and brief kings, shall such as these lay hands on you and yet live? Just the the line, little lords and brief kings. It mm -hmm. it encompasses how he thinks of the unhappy men of the baseborn mortals, right? It's it's like they're they're little, they're brief, they don't matter to me. Why should I even care? And how could this brief human be in love with my daughter? And why should my daughter care about this? That that sort of encompasses it. So or at least it's his perspective. It's beautiful prose. Just just like we've said many times before, just his the Tolkien's brevity and his the how he describes and says so much in words that are so few is is brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Uh, all right, so um, we move on, and and uh, Baron laughs. This is this is my perhaps my second. Oh no no no! Oh no! Don't wait, get what? don't get to the laugh yet. Well, you guys, we, we have to have the ask. Like this is so. This book what? is called the Silmarillion, and what? so we have to get back to the Silmarillion. So this is what Thingol says. He says after the wonderful quote that Jonathan read. I was just using this whole you know the the trope of like uh, thirty six hours earlier. I was going to give where we get to, and then we can go 
Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. That's Sorry. Then in that case, go go ahead, Mike. But but, but you, you got to say what he's laughing at first, don't you? Sure. No, not necessarily. <laughs> he can laugh, and then you can say, you know, thirty minutes earlier. <laughs> um, so I'm going to reference the one my favorite line from um, <clears throat> from Baron's first speech, and it's the one that um, Dan referenced, but didn't didn't read the line. Neither rock nor steel nor the fires of Morgoth nor all the powers of the Elf Kingdom shall keep me from the treasure that I desire. For Luthien, your daughter, is the fairest of all the children of the world. So treasure is now referenced. Thingol says, see now, I too desire a treasure that is withheld. For rock and steel and fires of Morgoth keep the treasure that I would possess against all the powers of the Elf Kingdoms. So he's mocking Baron's speech by using every single term that Baron used himself. Rock, steel, fire of Morgoth, mm -hmm. um, and the powers of the Elf Kingdoms. Yet I hear you say that bonds such as these do not daunt you. Go your way, therefore. Bring to me in your hand a Silmaril from Morgoth's crown. And then if she will, Luthien may set her hand in yours. Then you shall have my jewel, and though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, yet you shall hold me generous. Which I had to read a couple times the first time I read that, because I didn't understand what they were saying. He's saying, of course, you shall have my jewel, um, which is, which is um, Luthien. And though the fate of Arda lie within the Silmarils, in other words, she's greater than the Silmarils to me. Yeah. What's really interesting about this is, She's greater um, than the fate of Arda, is what he's saying. Right, to him, to him. And Thingol doesn't actually care that much about the Silmarils. All the Noldor are just obsessed with the Silmarils. But, but Thingol doesn't actually care that much. He just brings it up as, a, as an impossible task so that he can get um, Baron killed. This is a way to back yourself into a corner. You don't want to do that. Yeah. This is what he, <laughs> he did it to himself, man. He said, like, you know, I'm, the fires of Morgoth aren't going to stop me. It was a challenge. <laughs> and you you could just see cinematically Fingal going really <laughs> yeah right yeah 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 <clears throat> yeah yeah and and so I, I like right after this and uh, he wrought the doom of Doriath and was ensnared within the curse of Mandos and I thought oh this is the point this is like when the point at which everything that happened the what Feanor did where where Fingal came from it is now this is the central point of where the entire the entire Middle Earth is now ensnared in the doom because it's the men ensnared in the Silmarils now, and it's uh, the the Maiar Melian ensnared in the Silmarils, and it's Thingol, the Sindar, right? Everybody who's been here, it it, it comes to this point. Thingol makes the decision that ensnares everybody in the doom of Mandos now. At least that's the way that it felt to me. Yes, and which is super interesting if you think about it, because from the Doom of Mandos, if you read the Doom, it, it sounds like it's a Doom for the Noldor who did committed the Kinslaying. Yeah. But it turns out the Doom is transferable. <laughs> who knew? You can you can catch the Doom. It's like a, it's like a disease. And Thingol, in fact, does that to his whole kingdom. His kingdom falls under the Doom of of the of the Doom of Doriath. I'm sorry. Doom of Mandos. Yeah, Doom of Mandos is right. Um, it's it, Tolkien in that sentence called it also the curse of Mandos. So, um, yeah. All right. So that leaves. Okay. Can we? Can I move forward to the second? Please do. From there, where uh, we get the the awkward chuckle, maybe I don't know the <laughs> the the under the breath laugh, uh, where where Baron says. Although I like in, in the in the audio book. I like how he reads it. I don't know if you, you listened to it, Michael. Or Dave, no. But the way that he reads it where uh, <clears throat> he says, but Baron laughed. Ha! 
For little price, he said, do elven kings sell their daughters for gems and things made by craft. But if this be your will, Thingle, I will perform it, and when we meet again, my hand shall hold a silmaril from the iron crown, for you have not looked last upon the son, Baron, son of Barahir. I just like that. For, ha, for little price do elven kings sell their daughters. Mm. It's like, oh, man, just laughing in the, fi- in, in the face of the fate of, of the doom of Mandos, essentially is what he's doing. Um, Which is interesting because now, apparently, once you've been given an impossible and deadly doom, now it's okay to insult the king. (laughs) (laughs) Which he does. That's an insult. He says, for little price do you sell your daughters. In other words, you've you've chosen to sell your daughter for a gem? That's pathetic. And Mm. and it's very obvious that he's mocking mocking Thingol in this. It's the next line that, I guess, confused me. Or I'm like, what does it mean exactly? Then he looked in the eyes of Melian, who spoke not. And it leaves a lot for the reader to decipher what that particular line means in the face of him agreeing to get the Silmar. Does, like, does he look at her because Melian was looking at him going like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. Or was he looking at her like, because Melian was like, okay, I know where we're going. And he sees something in her about her foreknowledge or something. Like, like what does it mean that he looked in her, uh, her, the eyes of Melian who spoke? Like, was he waiting for her to say something? To well, encouragement. Anyway. That's that's possible. Um, I I was drawn back to before he started speaking. Um, it says this is b- before he gives his speech and before Thingol puts upon him this this quest. Um, then Baron looked looking up beheld the eyes of Luthien, and his glance went also to the face of Melian, and it seemed to him that words were put in his mouth. So. So there's a connection here where Melian is part of mm. of Baron's response. That's a good point. Um, it, it, there's there's a real connection there, and we know, of course, that Maiar and elves can speak into the minds of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that from Galadriel herself, from the Lord of the Rings. We know it because it's said explicitly at the end of Lord of the Rings as well. And um, where Gandalf and Elrond and Galadriel are are, are sitting sp- silently speaking to each other in their minds. Um, on the road back to uh, Rivendell. And um, and so perhaps that's what's going on here. Perhaps Melian is actually speaking words to him. I mean, she's clearly on his side in some way here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's she's not happy with Hubby that ensnared her in no. the doom of Mandos. No, no, Hubby keeps putting his foot in his mouth over and over again. He's been, <laughs> he's been, doing, he's been doing it for a while. Isn't she supposed to be the neck that turns the head? Isn't that what we learned from some... From my big fat Greek <laughs> Is wedding. That it? Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, that's throwback. That's, Sorry about uh-huh. that. Uh, yeah. Do you guys think it's uh, of, of note or interesting at all that it seems like these gems, these Cimmerils, they have launched a world war, basically. And mm-hmm. and Baron just goes like, "Yeah, I'll get them for you. I don't care about them at all, but I'll I'll get them for you." Like he just has no interest in them at all. And I, is that is that something that is particular to men in general? Or is that particular to Baron in specific, in particular? Because hmm. it seems odd that we've had this whole book about these gems, and we come we come across a character who's going to go get one, and he doesn't care about them at all. Well, so I would say two things. That's a really good question, Dan. But I would say two things. That I would say first of all, there's a thing that he cares about more than anything else. Um, right. In comparison of which, everything pales. In, everything pales, including the Silmarils, which the Valar themselves desired. So 
Um, so, so there's that to consider that Luthien is his world. And so nothing, mm -hmm. everything is dross to, to compared to her. Right. Second of all, it will be really interesting to watch any references in the Silmarils and its pull on the hearts of men. We know that it has pull on the hearts of dwarves, actually, ultimately. But and we, all, we also know, of course, that it has unbelievable pull on the hearts of the elves, and it is the pivot point around which their doom lies. So much so that bringing up the Silmarils drags a whole elven kingdom that is not Noldor into the doom of Mandos. So, so um, there's a real there's a real power they have, but they almost the Silmarils almost feel to me like the downfall of the Noldor more than anything else. And I don't think they have. Obviously, they're going to have tremendous power on whoever looks at them, but. But I don't know that that um, there's. I think there's something peculiar about the Noldor and the and the Silmarils, mostly because they're vows, probably. But yeah. well, and we know that the Silmarils created Mithril. <sighs> Sorry, <laughs> I'm gonna flip this guys, freaking table you guys, over. You looked at that me for a second, so... like, wait, what? Oh, oh no! Sorry, oh, Rings of Power man. reference. If you're listening did to this we, years in the did future, we have to. Apparently, we did. I, lo I love this comment. Uh, we were so Nellian. close to one episode without mentioning <laughs> got, Rings of Power. We got it already. It was you guys who mentioned it. it Wait, what did we do? We got, I got through one without mentioning the Rings of Power. You guys, however, couldn't. Oh. Anyway, go on, Dan. You were going to say you love the quote. <laughs> I was going to say I love this quote from Melian when she at last speaks. I think, I think Baron has already left. And she talks to Thingle, kind of like, hey, hubby, you're, you're an idiot. But she goes like, you have devised cunning counsel. But if my eyes have not lost their sight, it is ill for you, whether barren fail or achieve it, for you have doomed either your daughter or yourself. And I just thought that was an interesting way of putting it. It's like, well, if barren goes off and gets killed, you have doomed your daughter to a, a future of, of losing the man that she loves. Yeah. And if he comes back and he succeeds, you've doomed us because now we're... It's like, why, why did you do that? Yeah. <laughs> She's yeah. like, what were, what were you thinking? Yeah, yeah. It's like he lost touch with you know the the feeling that he had for Melian that made him swoon in the woods for years and years and years, mm -hmm. and now all he thinks about is like, well, he's a he's a petty king and you know a, a, a brief king and a little man, he's <laughs> yeah. born, and so she'll she'll forget about it. You know, this is a a youthful indiscretion. She'll yeah, she'll, she'll, she'll get over it. Yeah, she'll she's got a couple it. more Time thousand feels, years. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure I'm sure that's probably where you know he'd be coming from. But Melian's like, no, no, no. True love, love, true love. You can't yeah. get over it. <laughs> so anyway, wow, we're spending a lot of time on this. Should we move on into what happens now as Baron passes on through Doriath unhindered? And if we look back at our map here, he ends up uh, going down to, to Nargothrond. Nargothrond, way over here. Down over here, Nargothrond, down there. Uh, and through the whole time, he's going through the guarded plains, which I believe are these areas right up in here. Uh, yeah, guarded plain. You can see it right there. If I read, it's right there, guarded plain. And uh, the entire place has uh, encampments, has hidden towers so that uh, the elves of Nargothrond can see anything coming. And the entire time, he's holding up the ring of Barahir, or the ring of Felagund, uh, saying... Um... um uh, well, essentially saying, uh, I'm Baron, son of Bear here, friend of Felagund. Take me to the king. And they slew him not. And they eventually led him to Finrod Felagund, who already is ensnared in the doom of Mandos because he committed to helping Bear here, yet he, he swore an oath, oath to him, yet he also 
for some reason, there's a Kelligorm and Kurufin are there with him. And he's letting them stay in Nargothron, and that just can't be a good thing. It's inappropriate and wrong. Never should you have the Sons of Fanor stay with you. And in, you know, anyway, so... Um, Anywhere, that's really, about yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So, so he says, so he's like, he's torn between it, right? He has this idea that uh, I, I can't, I, like, I can see him thinking like, do I give up my oath and everybody will survive? Or at least, or my, my kingdom will survive in a way, right? That's, uh, that, that's got to be what's going through his head. Or is it something else? Is, it, is he saying like, if I give up my oath, I will lose, I will, you know, I'll lose the kingdom because I give up my oath. But if I, if I swear to my oath, I might lose myself. I might lose, you know, the life that I have. Hmm. Um, but he says, uh, <clears throat> Kelgorm and Kurufim have shown friendship to me in every need, but I fear that they will show neither love nor mercy to you if your quest be told. This is after Baron tells him of his quest. Yet my own oath holds, Felagon says, and thus we are all ensnared. So now Fingal's decision to, to, to call Baron you know, to the carpet here to say like, okay, you, you said you could go through Morgoth's fire and rock and flames. Uh, you, you go and do it. Now that decision has now doomed also Felagund to take to his oath. It's like, it's like the cascading oaths keep going. And so, and then Kelgorm and Kurfin's oath to their father now, <laughs> it, it, it forces them to essentially abandon Felagund and say like, yeah, no, we're, we're, we, 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 you know, as Tolkien says, we might very well take over uh, Nargothrond here until Ordreth convinces Felagun to say like, why don't you just set up a regent? Is it Ordreth? Uh, Ordreth becomes the regent, doesn't he? Ordreth becomes the regent. It's yeah. Felagun. It is a very interesting series of paragraphs here because to me, because you hear uh, after the passage you read about him, um, Felagun, Finrod saying, um, Finrod Felagun saying, my own oath holds and thus we are all ensnared. He's basically pointing out everything is ensnaring everyone. And so now, and he goes and he tells all the people everything. He's just fully open about about everything having to do with Baron, which, to the mind of most pe- readers, has to seem like a bad idea. Like, why wouldn't you keep your own counsel about this? Why do you have to declare what Baron's mission is? Is there some reason? I don't see a reason, um, but apparently he feels bound to, to reveal it all, which of course then allows the two most evil sons of Fëanor, um, Kelligorm and Kurufin, as we will find as the story progresses, they become more and more evil. Um, it allows them to actually corrupt the entire el- elven people of Nargothrond into darkness. And basically, he says, and after Kelligorm, Kurufin spoke, I'm sorry, many other words he spoke. This is the speech of Kelligorm, as potent as were long before in Tyrion, the words of his father, that's Fëanor, that first inflamed the Noldor to rebellion. So Kelligorm is making this terrible speech about the end of days and how the, um, for the people of Nargothrond. And after Kelligorm, Kurufin spoke more softly, but with no less power, conjuring in the minds of the elves a vision of war and the ruin of Nargothrond. So great a fear did he set in their hearts that never after until the time of Turin would any, any elf of that realm go into open battle, but with stealth and ambush, with wizardry and venom darts, they pursued all strangers for forgetting the bonds of friendship. So he basically corrupts an entire people, hmm. um, these, these two brothers do. Thus they fell from the valor and the freedom of the elves of old, and their land was darkened. So this all happens because Finrod Felagun decides to reveal everything about Baron to his people. And and, and so his people then murmur against him, 
and they they say that he's not the he's not going to be their king anymore and so he throws his crown at his feet his own feet and says fine then i won't be king anymore and there's a small remnant that says no you're always going to be our king that's 10 of them and he so he makes oradreth the king in truth but it's clear that they're not he, he oradreth is king in his place finrod is still king oradreth is king in his place or region but yeah. the people of of nargathron have in fact um removed him they, they he is not their king anymore well and he, the question is no did they remove him or did he was looking like i can't lead these people anymore oh maybe that's true maybe maybe they accepted oradreth that's probably true um right. because well, they say he was forsaken. He took from his head the silver crown of Nargothrond yep. and cast it at his feet. So I guess yeah, both and or either or, like, yes, he's he's no longer the king because yeah. of the oath. So is the question is, is it the oath he took to bear here is the problem? Or is it Kilogorm and Curfin's oath? Or is it now Thingol's oath to, to have, or Baron's oath to Thingol? <laughs> These three oaths mm. that compete. And it's sort of like Felagun, he, he's at the middle of it and he loses everything. Mm. I'd, I'd like to think that Finrod's oath is a good one. Like we should, we should have loyalty. We should pledge, um, you know, like like basically his whole he owes his life to Bara here. Uh, without without them, he he wouldn't be alive. So yeah. I, I feel like there is an instant. This is an instance of a good kind of oath. It, it doesn't have great consequences for him because he has to keep that oath to the loss of his kingdom here. But right, but, but his yeah. kingdom doesn't have to be lost. But that's the problem. The problem is he made an oath. He he tells everyone, "I have to help Baron." Yeah, and then that allows that's the chink in the armor that Kelagorm and Kurufin um, are used to bring to give these massive speeches that darken the hearts and say basically, mm -hmm. "Hey, if since your king is now doing this, you're all doomed. Everything's going to fall to ruin. You're making an enemy of all the Noldor because if yeah. if Baron actually succeeds." Then we have to come after whoever has the symbols, and so, so yeah. There's a there's there's a real um, yeah. There's a real interesting interplay of oaths here because mm -hmm. it even recalls the oath at Tyrion. Although, you know, it doesn't do so by saying that the elves of Nargothrond took an oath, but it does so by saying the two sons of Theonor. Um, gave a speech with the power that their father had given at Tyrion. Yeah. So anyway, it's it's fascinating. And and I think we're ending there, but that basically this is the beginning of Felagon. So Finrod Felagund, since we've already brought up, I was going to bring it up, but since we have already brought up Rings of Power, <laughs> the real Finrod, the the one that doesn't think that ships float because they look upward. <laughs> is it, the it, wisdom it turns of out, Finrod. Yeah. Finrod Felagund is in fact a a, a tremendously and tragic hero figure, yeah. and he and he is now joining Baron in his quest. So the next, our next uh, episode, we're going to cover the quest itself, the quest or at least itself. most of Although, it. Although I think it would be a miss to say the point at which we're leaving off here officially is, is it could be the end of a good chapter here, uh, yeah. because uh, then Felagund gave the crown of Nargoth Nargothrond to Ordreth, his brother, to govern instead, and Kelrum and Kurfin said nothing, but they smiled. Hmm. and went from the halls it's like this sleazy slimy yeah they are clearly like, villains know, yeah we know what we did and we're happy that we ruined you and we ruined your 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 kingdom yep um they're straight they're, they're straight up villains these guys are evil and we'll see that throughout yeah. this and that's how chapter. they show their gratitude for being taken into their kingdom like yeah right hmm. 
like you guys got destroyed up in the north and you're hiding here and this is how we repay you. (laughs) It's so interesting to me that there's, uh, for the most part, I guess Mithros is an exception, but but the whole the whole line of Feanor is just corrupt. And it's so interesting that Tolkien has Feanor creating the most beautiful, glorious physical object in the existence in Arda, Um, and and yet. His 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 spirit itself is corrupt, and his whole line is corrupt, with one or two exceptions. Yeah, yeah. All right. So next week we're going to go through, like Michael said, the sort of the quest itself, and we're ending with we're, we're shifting it up just a little bit. We're we're starting here at this at this point where uh, where Kelgorm and Kurufin smile, and we're ending up uh, with a point at which the line ends. Then howling under the moon, he leaped down the hill, and the bat wheeled and flittered above him so it's kind of the the end of the quest uh so it's going to be part two of baron and luthien and then we will finish with part three the end of their story um but before we we close off this for good uh we have to move forward into if you like Tolkien. and this week we're going to or me i've been i've been reading through through the fall of numenor this one right here audiobook actually i have this one and i have the audiobook the audiobook is well done i like it a lot um and it has a story and since we're talking about baron and luthien another great story and it's part of unfinished tales too uh but it's a great story of love kind of but it's the story of uh erendis and aldarion or is it aldarion and erendis let me get it right and here it's uh, aldarion and erendis the mariner's wife that's in unfinished tales um, and I think it's pretty much the same thing. It's exactly the same thing in, in uh, The Fall of Numenor or Unfinished Tales. But it's the story of a, an heir to the king of Numenor, who eventually becomes king, uh, falls in love with a woman who is not of the line of Elros, uh, who hates the sea, but he loves the sea. And so she has this... It's, 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 it's the tension, the love, it's, 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 a, it's almost... A, I don't know. It's like the antithesis of Baron and Luthien because he, like, they never get together well, but there's a love there and everything is a strife and a problem, but it's so well told. And I'm so sad that he didn't finish it because you get to the point at which I think like one of the, a great moment where, uh, where Aldarion, who's a great mariner, who's been going over the sea for years at a time, establishing ports of Haven. Like I think he established, um, at the gray flood. What was the, the port there? I can't remember what they call it. Um, in any case, but he established Numenorean, uh, ports of call on on middle earth uh <clears throat> and he met meets with uh gilgalad and gilgalad sends a note back with him to give to his father to say we need your help now's the time and that's where tolkien ends the story he's <laughs> like you don't know there's no more mention of aldarion and gilgalad and what that means and what that means or what the letter even really like it has what the letter said but what the point of the letter was that he that aldarion came back to give to his father uh, is it minister i think his the king uh, anyway, great story, Aldarion and Erendis. Uh, it's like 60 or 70 pages long, I want to say, in this here. Um, but definitely you can either get it in Unfinished Tales or you can get it in The Fall of Numenor. This is much newer and has, if you're more interested about the real story of Numenor instead of what the Rings of Power had, I would recommend going ahead and getting this. Um, yeah, so that's, that's my recommendation as we, move, as we, mm. as we uh, if you like Tolkien, you might as well just read Tolkien. I, I guess that's an easy one. So, yeah. Uh, all right, so we are going to move into, move into our uh, <clears throat> our patron section. And if you aren't a patron, please join us 
at thewondering.com slash patron. $4 a month. First month is free. I know I say this every week, but hey, uh, we've got a few dozen of you, but on, but there aren't many of you in Discord. I don't know what it is. I guess, I mean, we're so good at this extended podcast that that's all you really need. I understand. However, we're going to talk about some questions about the love of Baron and Luthien uh, and some deep thoughts about like what's the point of everything and why is there so much loss and why is love so important? Anyway, some great conversations there. I hope you join us there. Go to theonewing.com slash patron uh, and you can see what we're talking about for free for the first month. So head, head, head over there. And we're going to move into that extended podcast right now. So if, uh, if you haven't paid for it, I'm so sorry. Please get off the trolley now. Bye, freeloaders. Bye. And we'll see you later. <laughs>